Hey everyone, this is James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker. It's December 12, 2022, and welcome to my podcast. 30,000 plus amazing followers on social media, at Notorious Banker on TikTok, at Notorious Banker on Instagram, and at BankBetterGuy on Twitter. I am also the author of High Risk Transaction, The Ryan Coogler Bank of America Incident, now available in paperback and Kindle format on Amazon. Soon to be an author of a Zell book that is still pending. I am still writing it. It is near completion, due to be on Amazon very soon. And I also have a book idea that I want to just kind of talk about briefly in the intro here. But guys, thank you so very much for the love and support. I really do appreciate it. Been gone for about 10 days or so. It's been a lot going on. Um, a lot of busy things, you know, in James Baca world over here. Uh, my grandparents were a little bit ill, so I was trying to think about them and focus attention on trying to find ways to help them by proxy over here 150 miles away with my mom over there. And then, of course, you know, just life gets in the way of the holidays and everything. I'm trying to be consistent with podcasts every week. Um, sometimes it may slip a day or two, but of course I'm here, I'm thinking about it. Um, Twitter, of course, has been a total shit show for the last month. Um, it's very hard to find a lot of interesting things to do in terms of helping customers. So I'm trying to figure out the best path forward for my vigilante customer service. And as, as you know, I've recovered almost $4 million from big banks when it comes to fees, fraud claims, you name it. I have helped people do it. I'm proud to say that I've done it. And then, of course, um, there was this incident here um, in the state of New Mexico, my hometown, New Mexico State Aggies. Uh, we're traveling to Albuquerque, New Mexico to play the New Mexico Lobos, the hated rival. And I want to get to that in just a second here. But um, the night before the game, and I was going to head to that game possibly with my wife. Uh, one of our basketball players, Mike Peak, was involved in an incident outside a dorm room in the University of New Mexico where he was cornered and attacked by th three people and a young woman who um, basically set him up with a Tinder date request. Gets jumped hit with the bat, uh, gets shot upon, where he in turn fires back, shooting and killing the person with the gun. He gets shot in the leg. He's in a hospital, multiple surgeries, <clears throat> no longer on the team as of right now, and definitely suspended. Um, and the reason why he's suspended is not because he killed the guy, it's because he took a gun onto the bus, which of course is a no-no. Um, but needless to say, I'm in full support of Mike Peak and the New Mexico State basketball team. This is such a complicated story, guys. There's so much going on with this. Um, the mainstream media, TMZ and ESPN has kind of touched upon it, but not nearly as deep as the local news coverage here. And um, for someone who's a season ticket holder to that team and who knows every single player very deeply and very well um, from afar as a fan, um, I'm heartbroken and I'm frustrated um, by the media coverage with this particular story especially the local media, which I always have a love-hate relationship with anyway. But of course, I still respect the position. Now, there's a lot going on. I don't want to get into it in a banking podcast. But all I can say is, in my head, I just have these hot takes that develop. And then I just have these conversations with my wife uh, for the last few weeks about this because it is such a salacious story. It is such an interesting story, uh, a one-in-a-million type story that since I have the knowledge and the familiarity of this team, and I have the knowledge and familiarity with the team uh, 220 miles to our north because I live there um, for the better part of my life, I am just just at a loss. I am frustrated by this story and the coverage on in both media markets. I decided that I want to write a book about it. Now, I don't know if I'm actually going to 
finish this book. I just know I want to get started. And I'm going to try really hard to get started today as I record this podcast to see if there's any there there. If there's anything there that I feel can be even a 150-page book, I want to do it. Now, I don't want to talk about, you know, the basketball team privately and how they grew up and all that stuff. Or, you know, the, the crime is the crime, and i got to talk about that. Um, you know, the I'm talking about the attacking one of our players crime. The self-defense part of it and the subsequently getting suspended from the team by the guy who got the gunshot is something else I do want to talk about, but just from a different perspective. But it's something that I just feel is interesting. I feel like there's so many layers to this because what happened was self-defense. And, of course, a lot of two-way people, and you know who we're talking about here, will say, well, I have this in case you know someone comes at me. I'm going to take care of them. You trespass on my property. I'm going to take care of you. Um, you know, you have those type of people. And I understand that I grew up in... Um, you know, this part of the world where it's the Wild West, literally the Wild West. So I understand that part of it. But at the same time, the same people who should be lauding um, this self-defense act that happened are also calling this particular basketball player from the south side of Chicago a thug. And, of course, the thug, the word thug is just kind of, um, you know, kind of alluding to another word that I'm just not um, going to say on here. But you know what I'm talking about. And it's frustrating as hell the racial element of it, the New Mexico part of it, because a lot of you guys who have never lived in New Mexico don't understand that New Mexicans and fights and the way that, that brouhaha's develop is just a little bit different in New Mexico. And I want to get into the culture of that, the local media culture. Um, I went to high school during the time of Columbine, and I had a lot of opinions then as a 17-year-old kid in high school who actually got thrown out of high school um, in protest of uh, <laughs> a security feature that happened at my school post-Columbine. It's really a ridiculous story, but it's something that I can write about. And I guess the selfish part of me says, well, I'm going to make it all about me because I want to talk about stories about me, this and that. Well, yes, I want to talk about why I feel the way I feel, but I also want to talk about the hypocrisy that's been going on with this where there is a person who nearly died um, as a result of a brazen attack. And it seems like at every turn... The, the craziness of the story, the, the wildness of how everything happened in real time is, is making the local news media almost seem like they're implicating our basketball player in a murder, which is not, is not true. It's not possible. It can't be. And I don't foresee that happening at all. I don't foresee that happening at all in this case with the surveillance tapes and whatnot. It is a very frustrating story, a very interesting story. It is, you know, 13 days from Christmas. I want to see in this weird downtime where I'm going to start recording podcasts to do the book review about Emily Flitter's book that we can get this book just kind of churned out and hopefully be done by February as well. I want the Zell book done, but I want to get this done while it's still fresh because I think there's a lot of conversations that need to be had about this. And the people on social media, I just got to be honest, are fucking horrible. They are fucking terrible people. And the people commenting on it, the people who don't understand college athletics who don't understand the team concept who don't understand how recruiting happens there was a crazy story uh you know a crazy comment on a social media post um regarding this story and one of the commenters who is from here in new mexico said well you know new mexico state always recruits from weird places like chicago and canada this was bound to happen to them i'm like okay i'll give you chicago i've never been there but of course you know you hear the stories but canada 
the you know the ignorance of the people who don't realize what they're saying that that you know Canada is basically what is Mexico and it's not we know this yes there's some spree killings and stuff that happen over there all the time but holy crap a, a comment that stupid that gets interaction on a social media post is just something that I want to address because this is the reason why this story has legs like this and I'm going to add more legs to it by writing a book well guess what I'm I I kind of have to because I need to have a sense of realism here. These are real life situations. A man almost died. A man did die by trying to attack another man. And it's frustrating. It is frustrating. And I feel that it's my, my duty to talk about this as a, an, an educated individual. So I'm sorry it took about eight and a half minutes talking about that. But I, I'm telling you, this is something that means a lot to me. And if I have to take a sabbatical from Notorious Banker duties for a couple of weeks, then so be it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it because I really think it's important. We have one topic today, um, really lighten the news. Well, actually, we have two topics, and they're both related to Brian Moynihan. Um, I took a couple days off from social media <clears throat> to take care of some things, and then I come back with the possibility, according to Charlie Gasparino of Fox Business, that Brian Moynihan is in line, allegedly, to replace Secretary Janet Yellen should she leave her post, which is just fucking crazy beyond recognition. And then the second part is also a Brian Moynihan-related topic. He mentions that Bank of America was never a big fan of cryptocurrencies. Well, I could have told you that, and I've probably told you that a hundred times on this podcast. For my training, I was told to say, hey, crypto is bad, and here's how you identify it. That way we can report it. That way we can get these people out of our bank. That's what I was taught. I was taught that. Up until the day I left, we were taught that if someone's dabbling in crypto, you let us know, and we're going to take care of that customer. And now Brian Moynihan outright says that cryptocurrencies are bad as, as, as they're at an all-time low. Is he trying to push the market down more to have Bank of America buy up more of it? Or is he just telling the truth and, and everyone else is just too stupid to understand what that means? I think it's a little bit of both. So after this brief promotional consideration, it's an all-Brian Moynihan podcast, my friend. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and I'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on TikTok. My TikTok channel is at Notorious Banker. Join the more than 20,000 amazing followers on my channel as I talk about bank topics and give you a little humor and information in the meantime. Um, being a 13-year former associate of a bank, I can tell you a lot of stories that happen, and I do tell you a lot of stories that are um, a little weird, a little bizarre, a little vulgar on that TikTok channel and I also give you information about which banks to avoid to talk about bank news of the day and I interact with a lot of people and I answer questions for my followers um, in the comments. It's something that I'm really proud of. We got over half a million likes on this channel already and you know there's there's some videos that have gotten over a million views and I'm really proud of that. It goes to show you that a lot of people love talking about banks. A lot of people love talking about their money and a lot of people love talking about how crappy those banks can be. So follow my TikTok channel at Notorious Banker and join the more than 20,000 followers who already do and have some fun with me, yours truly, the Notorious Banker. All right, everyone, I'm back with Notorious Banker. I'm going to have two, two segments here because I really think that it's something that we need to talk about in great detail because it is just ridiculous. Um, as I mentioned, I took a couple of days off to take care of some things. I come back to a post from Charlie Gasparino of Fox Business. Now, 
I have nothing against this gentleman. He used to be on CNBC. He's on Fox Business now. Fox Business is not really, um, it's not good. Ever since they debuted, you know, they weren't even in the Nielsen ratings. They were averaging less than 50,000 viewers or something like that. About now, I'm sure it grew. I'm sure they do a good job. You know, there's there's names on there, people that you know uh, from the media that are on there. So they, they have an audience. Um, but he's just a very, I, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. He's posted some B of A stuff where he's had B of A issues where he's had some, he's, he's had a question, like, oh, I have a question. Why does Bank of America this, that, and the other thing? And he says it to his, you know, thousands upon thousands of followers, 162,000. And all of a sudden, he asks a question that I have the answer to, or that he seems to be looking for the answer to when he posts that. I give him the direct answer straight from a Bank of America manager, and he ignores the post. He'll only He'll only respond with people who are verified he will only respond to people who um you know are his friends or whatever and it's just it's just weird you know social media is supposed to be that social and it just feels like he's just kind of talking into an echo chamber it sounds like he just only cares about charles gasparino and i don't know what can i say what can i say it's just it just rubs me the wrong way but december 9th 2022 my dad's 65th birthday a scoop Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan now on White House shortlist to replace Secretary Janet Yellen if she decides to leave post as expected. Move comes after a well-orchestrated media blitz and attendance at state dinners. He, along with Governor Gina Raimondo, are frontrunners. More on Fox Business. It's one tweet. There's not a lot of traction that I see on social media or the internet, for that matter, with this particular rumor. Um... It's a you know it's a scoop. I mean, who's the scoop from? Did Brian Moynihan leak that? Did Brian Moynihan uh, want to put that out there that he wants that job? Um, on Fox Business, you know, two days ago they talk about it, but Bloomberg was able to post something out there um, two days ago as well, saying B of A Chief Moynihan says he likes his job, hasn't focused on Yellen's. And then the paragraph from Catherine Doherty of Bloomberg is. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan says he has no intention to leave his post responding to a report that he's on the Biden administration's shortlist to replace Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen if she steps down. On CNBC, he says, it's not in my mind. I like what I do, and that's why I'm doing it today. The best job in the world. Fox Business and Charles Gasparino reported this, and Bloomberg tried to aggregate it with Catherine Doherty. And I'm going to read the Fox Business thing here. It says, speculation continues to swirl over Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen a new name is placed on a short list of possible replacements, Brian Moynihan. Fox Business has learned that Moynihan, the longtime CEO of the nation's second largest bank by assets, is regarded by the White House as a candidate to run Treasury in the future. According to people with knowledge of the Biden administration's thinking, Moynihan's name is on a very short, short list of replacements for Yellen. That includes Gina Raimondo as a pot and possible as a dark horse candidate, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler. Shares of Bank of America turned negative after Fox Business first reported the news. Lawrence Dorita, a bank president who's in charge of public affairs, declined comment but would not deny the speculation about Moynihan. Lawrence Dorita is just shitty at his job. A B of A president in D.C. Of course, he's been in the public life. He's you know been a public servant as well. Um, I've had some people who are victims of fraud and crime in D.C. And that market is just horrible at helping people. Horrible. A White House spokesman declined comment at fr Friday's press briefing 
Karine Jean-Pierre was questioned about early reporting, and he called it pure speculation. And Janet Yellen, you know, they say that she might step down. She's a little bit older, 76 years old. It's a it's a busy time, and then, of course, with the inflation debate, everything going on, it's probably not a fun time to be there. Um, according to Fox Business, says, Either way, Moynihan, 63, a longtime banker and former corporate general counsel, has been making the rounds of state dinners and has been conducting an extensive media tour, sounding very much like a spokesman for the Biden administration's economic policy. To be fair, he was kind of buddy-buddy with Trump as well. I'm just saying. He is on the side of making a fuck ton of money for Bank of America. Moynihan recently told Neil Cavuto that despite recent Fed rate increases, slow growth, and tamp down on inflation, he doesn't see the economy going off the cliff, crediting the resilience of the American consumer. And that's very diplomatic of him to say that. You know, and I've, I mean that in a in a kind of mocking way because. There are people going off a cliff. And it's not everyone, but there are still some people. Not he says the economy, yeah, of course. You know, life moves on whenever some people fail, but at the same time, there are some people who are going through some shit right now. The press tour, which included a press appearance on Face the Nation, is unusual for the normally reticent CEO who is often overshadowed on the public stage by more voluble banking executives such as Jamie Dimon. Moynihan has clearly increased his public profile as part of an effort from his handlers to tout him for a possible senior government position. Over the past two months, he attended the UN's climate change conference, met with King Charles and British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, attended a White House dinner for French President Emmanuel Macron, and appeared at President Biden's reception for Kennedy Center honorees. Quote, he's definitely on the short list for Treasury Secretary, said one senior white Wall Street executive with knowledge of the Biden administration's thinking. It's likely that either he or Raimondo of Yellen decides to step away. Moynihan has been a CEO of Bank of America since 2010 with $2.4 trillion in assets. Bank of America is the nation's second largest bank behind J.P. Morgan's $3.4 trillion. His tenure is considered mostly a success, having steered the big bank out of the financial crisis in 2008 and integrated its purchase with brokerage firm Merrill Lynch. So, you know, my thing with this is step away, go to the Treasury Secretary. You know, he's not going to be President of the United States Treasury Secretary. It's up there. But he is, you know, not too far away from being president, right? Isn't that how it works? Uh, Treasury Secretary um, is probably in the middle of the pack of presidential line of succession. And the fact that he's going to be so few steps away is fucking terrifying to me just as a former Bank of America associate. Secretary of the Treasury is fifth in line to the White House. And that's, that just blows my mind how high up that is. Kamala, Nancy Pelosi, Patrick Leahy, Anthony Blinken, and Secretary of the Treasury, currently Janet Yellen, but possibly Brian Moynihan. Gina Raimondo is Secretary of Commerce, which is 10th in line now. To be 5th in line in the line of succession is crazy. But, you know, one's got to think of this, and you got you got to understand this part of it. And and I think this, this goes for all bank CEOs. Brian Moynihan made like $32 million last year. Probably the same amount the year before. He was always in the 20 to $25 million range. He has a nice nice little nest egg. He's probably worth a couple hundred million dollars. Stock options, all the other bullshit that goes along with being the head honcho of the second biggest bank in terms of assets. It's there. He's getting paid like LeBron James, and he can live like LeBron James the rest of his life as he, if he wants. And this, of course, you know, the corporate part of, of the corporate life is 
nice, you know, people kissing your ass. You're in charge of 200,000 people. But does he really want to take a dramatic pay cut? I don't know what the Secretary of the Treasury makes, but it's not $32 million, okay? We're talking less and less than that. If he's making less than what the President of the United States, Joe Biden, makes, which is $400,000 a year, that's a drastic pay cut. And does he really want to to lose that? Yeah, I'm sure he'll get a golden parachute and whatnot. So the Treasury Secretary makes $221,400 a year. That's That's a drastic pay cut. So is it more about just the honor of being that person, which is not very many people who have done it? Do you know what I mean? Like, is it really all about that at the end of the day? Because, you know, when it comes down to there's only been 78, 78 different secretaries of the Treasury. And, you know, it's it's a prestigious thing. There's been only 46 presidents. So, you know, do you want to do that? But at that cost, you know what I mean? And, and that's my thing, like, people always talk about, you know, like, oh, I would love to own a Van Gogh. Do you really want to get rid of a significant amount of your wealth just to own a fucking painting that you're just looking at? Yeah, maybe I'm the naive one, maybe I'm the millennial, okay, maybe the one I'm the one that doesn't give a shit about the painting. But just to say that I have it, and I lose all my money when it comes to trying to attain it, is it really worth it in the end? I don't think it is. Brian Moynihan, can, he's 63 years old. He's a good-looking dude for his age. He is in a position of power unlike a lot of people can be in. Janet Yellen has a lot of power. But you know what? Being a CEO of one of the biggest banks in the world, you have a lot of power as well. He can be there easily another 10 years and easily make 300 even $400 million of wealth. And yeah, he'll be 70. He'll be too old. He can't spend it on hookers and blow, although I guess he can. Um... But generational wealth for his family and his grandkids and his grandkids' grandkids. I mean, this is something that can be meaningful. You know, you can't pay the fucking mortgage bill by saying, Hey, my grandpa Brian was Secretary of the Treasury 35 years ago in the year 2057. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's just something that I guess if he wants to do it, he's going to do it. Now, I'm not saying Gasparino and the Fox Business article and the Catherine Doherty, who is a respected person... Um, her story is, you know, invalid. I'm sure there's smoke there. But I'm sure that, of course, Biden would love to have him. I think anyone would love to have someone with that insight. But to be that much of an insider, the hearings for that, will they talk about Zell? Will they talk about all the toxic workplaces? Can the notorious banker get in there somehow? I don't know. Like, it, it, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to this. And and I commend him for being successful at his job as it pertains to what the shareholders think. But at the same time, I think that it would take a crazy person to go ahead and make the jump and to leave this job for that. Public service is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I work for the public. I work for my followers and listeners and the people who need help fighting back against big banks. But I'm really a selfish person. I only care about myself. I want to make money to pay my bills, eat my food, and go to sleep in my bed. And Brian Moynihan's like, hey, I want to make this money for me, my family, and my lifestyle. Do I want to take a you know a 95% pay cut to work in you know for government 
he's scrutinized all the time, have to go in front of Congress all the time, and he's not the most bombastic talker. He's a very timid individual, very quiet. Does he want to be interacting with those people on a regular basis, especially with this new half-and-half um, half Congress where it's Republicans controlling the House and Democrats controlling the Senate? It, and, you know, the potential of another president in three years, you know, I hope not, but we'll see. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot there. And I'm just I'm just wondering. I'm worrying. I'm trying to kind of comprehend um, what he do it. And and I think one of the reasons what right now and I'll and I'll go to the next topic in a second here. Why I think he won't. I don't think there's really a good success succession plan at B of A. I mean, I guess it can be, um, you know, Montag is out of the question because he's no longer with the company. I guess it can be someone like Anne Finucane. It could be someone like Catherine Vassant. Tom Montag isn't there anymore. Um, it could be someone young like Raul Anaya, who's the president of business banking. He was the president of Los Angeles Market, someone who I've indirectly uh, vigilante customer serviced uh, several times. Um, you got a lot of these people here, and I'm sure they're good, you know. And I'm sure um, Dean Athanasia is there as well, by the way. Um, I don't know. Like, there's so many people. Holly O'Neill, president of retail banking, another one that can do it, and I think they do an okay job. I mean, I think if you get someone there with a lot of ideas, that might not be the best thing for B of A. So, you know, the shareholders, the conversations. Is this a way to get another contract? You know, Howard Stern, I love Howard Stern. And this was his thing. Every five years, his contract would be up. And he'd be like, well, I heard that FM radio is not as bad as it was when I left. Or I heard that, you know, working at CNN might not be bad. And they talked to me or whatever. And it's just his way of talking to his bosses saying, hey, give me more money or I'm going to leave. Because I remember the last time I listened to Stern when before he got his contract signed, he was talking about doing a show on SIM cards. And I'm like, SIM cards? It didn't fucking make any sense. He didn't know what he was talking about. But he was just trying to find a way to kind of antagonize his bosses, saying, hey, you're going to lose me. I'm the only reason that this place is still propped up, Sirius XM. And he would always get his deal, which is $50 million a year or something. Crazy amount of money. So I really think that this could be a salary play for him to get a little bit more. Bank of America is experiencing record profits, uh, unfortunately for me. I think that there's a lot of people who think, you know, in terms of the shareholder part of it, that he's doing an excellent job. And why would they want him to leave? Does public service really call him that much? I don't think it does. I think, you know, the amount of money, I think the amount of influence that his job has is something to, to hold on to until you get kicked out, until you're too old and senile, you know, to deal with it. This Treasury Secretary thing is such a flimsy thing that he can be gone in the span of a couple of years. I don't know if he wants to take that risk. But if they're aggregating this story in Fox and in Bloomberg, that tells me that there's some smoke. But I, I just really don't see it. I don't think Moynihan is that stupid to, to leave hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. Because he's been there since 2010 and aside from a few significant bumps in the road, it's been smooth sailing for him, not as bad as Ken Lewis. He righted the Ken Lewis mistakes. He's made some mistakes on his own, but you know there was some bad stuff going on in 08 and 09. Moynihan kind of took control, and here we are. So Brian Moynihan, Treasury Secretary. God, I hope I don't see it, but I wouldn't be surprised if we do. 
because this world is just fucking crazy as can be, you know, as we, as we talk here. But um, we'll follow that, of course. This is something that is just totally interesting, and I do want to follow this going forward. But after this brief promotional consideration, we're going to talk really briefly about cryptocurrency and what Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan said that kind of raised my eyebrows where I was like, finally, he acknowledges what we were told at Bank of America all along. That we're not big on cryptocurrency. Please stick around. Hey everyone, it's James Baca, known professionally as a Notorious Banker, inviting you to go to my website, thenotoriousbanker.com. Okay, it's not a real website, it's just a domain name that forwards to a link tree, but on that link tree, you're going to see all of my links to all of my social media content on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. You're going to find links to the books that I have written on Amazon. And of course, you're going to find this podcast as well and any other additional content that I may decide to do in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. But that domain name is going to stay the same, my friends, because I paid for it for a few years. That's www.thenotoriousbanker, all one word, .com. All right, I'm back with more Notorious Banker. So, you know, there was another tweet that I saw last week. Fox Business as well, by the way. And I don't, I don't know, and as I mentioned, the fact that Moynihan was on the shortlist for Yellen. You know, they say he's a fan of the Biden administration. No, he's a fan of saving his industry's ass by kissing whoever's in office. That's just my opinion, okay? Because he was, you know, buddy-buddy with Trump during Trump's term. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, like, oh, fuck this guy or whatever. I don't care. I really do not care. But during COVID, when, you know, all the PPP stuff happened, when all the direct payments happened... Donald Trump called out Bank of America and Brian Moynihan out directly and said, good job on Bank of America. Like, he he endorsed them. He endorsed them in his, in his press briefings, which was very eye-opening for me. It really was. Because if if you're a political foe, if you're on the other side of that, I don't, I don't think Trump would have done that. And we never really heard Biden do that. Although, of course, Joe Biden, Joseph Biden from Delaware used to be known as the senator from MBNA. MBNA was purchased by Bank of America. So, um, yeah, Bank of America, MBNA, I was there when the merger happened. We had this conversation. I was 23 years old, talking points about what that meant to us. So, of course, the connection is there. Does he want to give an old buddy, old chum, a primo position in government? Or is this just Fox Business talking out of their ass? I don't know. I, I, I really I really don't know. I do think that there's probably just some general talk about it. Like I said, he's probably just trying to get another contract. Trying to get a bump up in pay from the board. That's all I got to say. But anyway, Eleanor Terrett from Fox Business says, uh, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan tells Team Cavuto, which is Neil Cavuto, CBDC's cryptocurrency really isn't going to change the system. It's a very efficient payment system. You can go anywhere in the world and hand people a piece of plastic and get dinner. That's a pretty fantastic system. He's talking about credit cards and debit cards. He's talking about that piece of plastic has totally revolutionized how we pay for things in the last 30 years. Moynihan also said that Bank of America was never for cryptocurrencies. And Eleanor puts it in italics which i don't even know how to do <laughs> on twitter i've been on twitter for four years i don't know how to italicize something on there but it was never for cryptocurrencies and this is what brian moynihan said i'm gonna break out the the bank voice here 
What we are for is the blockchain technology, and those are two vastly different things. He revealed Bank of America currently has two to 300 patents in blockchain and distributed ledger technology. Now, I am going to be the first to tell you I am an idiot when it comes to crypto, when it comes to blockchain and all this stuff. It is well above my pay grade, okay? Like, you know, whenever people talk about, you know, crypto and blockchain at Bank of America Chase or whatever, I'm like, no, I was the manager giving out checkbook covers to old ladies. It's the same company, but it's not, it's not the same company. They're, they're talking chess. They're talking Star Star Trek chess, five-dimensional chess. I'm playing checkers. I'm not even playing checkers. I'm playing, guess how many fingers I'm holding up. To- totally, entirely different things. But it's interesting that, you know, they're touting the two to 300 pounds in blockchain. And what I've always said about, you know, Bank of America was never for cryptocurrency. And, of course, Jamie Dimon, CEO of Chase, called it a Ponzi scheme in the bank hearings a couple of months ago. That that's the case. These companies do not see Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, uh, Shiba Inu, all this bullshit as viable sources of uh, paying bills, spending your money. Yes, there are some companies that are kind of accepting it. You know, Chipotle, I believe they they um, accepted Ethereum. There was a whole promotion about that, and. Bitcoin, of course, you see Bitcoin ATMs at the lesser-known gas stations around you. You see all these things, and of course, Bitcoin is down significantly um, since its peak a couple years ago. I just see it as so volatile, and I just don't get. I don't. I don't understand. By the way, I got distracted there for a second because I looked at Bank of America's Twitter account while I'm talking to you, and it has a gold check mark. Elon Musk's gold check marks have made their debut. They're not a gold medal winning company, might I add. But whenever they say they're not for cryptocurrencies, that's the thing, okay? And I'm going to use a really bad example of of taking stuff from other ideas and making it your own. Now, um, one of the things, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. And in 2000, 2001, the WWF then, as they were known, that the WWE now, um, came out with the XFL, the Extreme Football League. And... It was the most popular thing for one Saturday night, and then it became the worst-rated program ever in network TV because it sucked, and the the players, except for He Hate Me and Tommy Maddox, didn't really make it in the NFL. They didn't make it aside from that little moment they had in the XFL. And, you know, it's supposed to change the game. There's no, There was no coin toss anymore. It was a... A battle for the ball like you'd put the ball in the 50 yard line and the two players would go diving for it and whoever wrangled the ball away stole the ball away from the other person they got the ball first and there's just a lot of things wrong with that and the whole product was kind of weird it got kind of cartoony at the end and i stopped watching it it just was hard to watch but you know with that technology uh from the xfl 2001 the the way that sideline reporters interview coaches on the sidelines during the game the way that we record the game with on-field cameras, you know, cameras that were embedded in referees' helmets, and the people with that gimbal camera, and they walk onto the field and take these close-ups of these these larger-than-life players, and then that whole camera on a string thing that they put at the top of stadiums, that's at every football game now. They used to only be in XFL, then it became only on Sunday and Monday nights, and now it's on every effing game on TV. So, 
you know, things progress. Things get cheaper, too, of course. But the technology was there. Although the product on the field was shit, the NFL saw, hey, it's like, hey, we can put the cameras on the field and these are our superstars. These are what are going to make us a billion dollars. We're going to we're gonna have these people right in these front of these 65-inch TVs. Hell yeah, let's do that. Let's have the overhead cam. That way we could break down plays another way. Of course, you know, the NFL saw that and they took advantage of it and made it their own. And the XFL, which died a quick death in 2001, which died a quick death in 2020. And although they're coming back next year, I really hope that they don't die a quick death in 2023. Because I like The Rock. I like everything that he does. They are innovative. And and the innovation is there for the taking. Now, what does this have to do with Bank of America? Well, what Brian Moynihan said that, hey, they're for blockchain technology distributed ledger technology they're for all the ways that crypto operates but they're not for crypto if that makes any sense and 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 it makes sense to me because what's going on is they're always looking for better more efficient ways or cheaper if you will ways of doing business blockchain technology and distributed ledger technology i i cannot tell you about those things because i am not an expert but what i am an expert for is when brian moynihan says Cryptocurrency isn't going to change the system. Right now, it's a very efficient payment system. You can go anywhere in the world and hand people a piece of plastic and get dinner. It's pretty fantastic. I agree. That's the true money talks, okay? There's no currency exchanges. And you get dollars for rubles or dollars for Chinese yuan. You don't need that anymore. You got you got an Amex card. You got a B of A card, a Chase card. And you got chip technology. You got tap to pay. You can definitely 100% go anywhere in the world and that person's going to get their money. And why is that a fantastic system for banks? Because they get their money too. The transaction fees that it takes for you to slide your card, tap it, or whatever at a machine is in the single-digit percentages, of course. But you multiply that by billions upon billions of transactions, and it's a fantastic system for big banks. They don't want that to go away. They perfected it. They have single-handedly made cash irrelevant to the majority of Americans and the majority of people in the world, which is fine. I am still a pro-cash person, not for my own liking. I literally held cash for about 13 minutes today because I was getting money out of one bank account and putting it into another. But there are some people who just live and die by it. They don't trust cards. They don't believe in cards. They don't write checks. They do everything in cash. I grew up with family members like that, so that means something to me. So I'm not going to debate Brian Moynihan on the pretty fantastic system of going anywhere in the world with a piece of plastic. I'm a believer in that, and... In a weird way, I'll thank him for that, for for pushing that on me because it made me more efficient on how I make payments and it made me more, I, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, regimented, I guess is the word, about, hey, I'm going to pay this bill with this car, I'm going to pay this with this and this and that. I mean, that's just the way that I am. That's just who I am. But for blockchain, you know, distributed ledger payments, I understand that part. But for crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and whatnot, you know, they see that as competition. And I've told you guys this story before. 2008, about a month before I was fired, a month before my branch closed, we took a training about identifying people who are doing crypto. And I sound doing crypto like they're doing cocaine or something. People who are dabbling in crypto using their bank account, uploading money to these places like Coinbase and whatnot. And Coinbase is a legit company. Of course, FTX was a legit company too um, till they went under. But what I'm getting at is 
identifying with a customer who's doing these irregular things. Maybe there was a thousand dollar upload to Coinbase, and then maybe he comes in two days later and says, "I need to file a fraud claim." That thousand dollars from Coinbase that wasn't my charge. I mean, they wanted us to identify this because they knew that not only was this their competition cryptocurrency, that if people were investing in it and doing some, you know, crazy day trading of crypto, that there's people who are going to lose money and then they're going to just lie and say, hey, that wasn't me. Bank of America was trying to protect their assets, which are money, um, from giving it away willy-nilly to these people who were just trying to play God with um, the little bit of money that they had and try to become a millionaire instantly, which doesn't work that way for 99.9% of people. So we were told to take this training saying, if you see someone who you think is dabbling in crypto, forward their account number and their name to this email address. Um, that's part of your job. That's part of your compliance. It's not do it if, you know, like if you have time or whatever. No, like you do it. You file the suspicious memo and say, we think James over here is dabbling in crypto. I don't know the beyond that, what they do. I'm sure they have risk management, investigate. And if they see a regular activity that can be something that can cause them to lose money, they would close out these accounts. And I doubt what these people would closed out accounts before. And it's crazy. I had to get yelled at so many times for decisions that Bank of America did based on stuff like this. Now, I'm not saying that that was a bad thing. I really do think that the people who dabbled in crypto and, and it's changed a lot since 2018, mind you. But when I was there in 2018, the people who are dabbling in crypto are literally some of the people you wouldn't trust with a $5 bill. <laughs> they just were, they, they, they were get rich, get rich quick people. They were the Kramers of Seinfeld. They were the people who always had some big plan. It's just like, yeah, I'm going I'm to pay $45 for a wire to, shit, what was it, Romania? Or it was someplace, Armenia. It was some weird country like that. They pay a $45 wire to wire 35 American dollars over there because they thought that that 35 plus the 45 wire fee, $80, was going to turn into a million by doing these Bitcoin things, by doing all this shady shit with these weird account numbers that were alphanumeric on there. I did a lot of these wires because they always used to pass them on me and I fucking hated it. But it just also looked weird. It's like, why is this 19-year-old kid with pimples on his face who literally doesn't seem like he knows shit about shit Sending money to to Sofia, Bulgaria. <laughs> Does he know people in Bulgaria? I don't think so. No, because it's some weird company that had their banking there and he was investing, quote unquote, in crypto or whatever. It just seemed weird. And it seemed like a waste of my time because it was literally a 20-minute wire to do a $30. 20-minute wire to do $30 American for $45. Yes, the bank makes a lot of money from the cost of the wire, but they also lose a lot of money and me not being able to sell bigger products to other people because I'm dealing with this little asshole's wire. So I already knew from the branch level that they weren't too keen on the time it takes to dabble in crypto, especially whenever uh, companies who were doing that were telling people to wire money in. To go into the bank is just very time consuming and it's just something with low staff that they didn't want to do. But you know, as time goes on and people can upload money themselves, they could easily using VPNs and using all this other bullshit, you know, pretend that it wasn't them in case the shit hits the fan or something. It's just like someone is like, you know, the movie Casino where um, Robert Nero says to Joe Pesci, anytime he won, he went there to collect. But anytime he lost, he told the, the bookies to go fuck themselves. 
Basically saying, I never lose. You guys lose no matter what. And that's the way that these kids were. So I understood why Bank of America did that. So it's kind of refreshing in a weird way. I'm going to compliment Brian Moynihan here for saying, you know, we're never for crypto. We're for the technology. And now that they have two to 300 patents, they're figuring it out. They hire these people who have the knowledge of it. And they're basically synthesizing their own version of what they feel that blockchain technology should be. And Bank of America is going to go with that. So the people who on Twitter, by the way, just fucking miserable the last three years with this. Saying, oh, Bank of America is dealing with this particular company on the payment system. Bank of America just entered into a contract with this. Yet, yeah, no, they're trying to get all the information about crypto and blockchain and whatnot from these people whenever they enter these in agreements. I don't even remember the company's name. That's how irrelevant it is. They, they have these discussions. They have these powwows. That way they can learn everything. That way they can do it themselves and then go tell you to go fuck yourself. That's what it was all about with Bank of America all along. It's about learning about all the good stuff that comes with what crypto is, which is the blockchain technology and the ledgers and whatnot, and trying to map it out to Bank of America 2023 and beyond. Trying to make it something useful for them in the world that we live in, which is normal banks. There's a lot of people who are going to lose billions upon billions, if not trillions of dollars on crypto in the next couple of years if they haven't lost it already. It's scary. It's shitty. But what can I say? What can I say? It's it's a lesson learned for a lot of these people. Um, that's all a pig in the poke. I was going to get into it hardcore a couple of years ago. It just didn't feel right. It didn't seem right when I wanted to do it. It's like, why am I doing this? Why are people telling me to do this? Why are, why are these people hype bros over it? They were just such hype people over shit that I know they don't understand. And whenever you would ask them directly questions about it, and I would get this from Bill Simmons, one of my favorite podcasters, would talk to this um, former sports exec who's a, who's a former poker player. His name is Harella Bob. And he would talk about NFTs and crypto. And this is a smart guy. This is a guy who ran a professional basketball team. He owns a Spanish soccer team now. And he's a self-made millionaire. When he would talk about all this shit, it sounded like a bad salesperson who works at a new company on his first day. I'm like, you're not convincing me because it doesn't even sound like you're convinced yourself. But you, you know, someone says you're a genius and you're trying to talk like a genius. And that's the way I feel about it. So Brian Moynihan talking to Fox Business, Cavuto, about this, about the piece of plastic, fantastic system. It's all about the money, okay? It's all about the money. It's all about the, the interchange fees for using your debit and credit card all across the world, making it a uniform payment system closest to the worldwide system that we'll never have over here. Because crypto, although that's part of that, and you know the, the whole tagline of crypto is get rid of conventional banks, get rid of that fiat <laughs> lifestyle and all, all this other bullshit. It's like... Bitcoin doesn't close at 4 p.m. or some shit like that. It's so ridiculous. It's just stupid commentary by people who don't know shit about shit. And I'm not saying that I do about crypto. I'm as stupid about crypto as the other people are about conventional banks. But, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have one teller. It's like, shut up. Who are you trying to kid? Don't don't pretend. And I tell people this all the time whenever they have fraud happening to them and the bank doesn't help them. Or they have an issue with a mortgage or something. And it's like, oh yeah, Bank of America didn't want to refund the fee for me. And then two days later, 
they're on Twitter and they're posting, oh, look at this story from 2008. Bank of America refuses to help this person. Look at this story from 2010. It's like, you don't fucking care about those people. Do not lie. You don't care about them. If you if this never happened to you, or you got a fee charge, they say, hey, can I have my feedback? Oh, sure, sir, here you go. You would not be tweeting wildly like this on Twitter. You only did that because they didn't want to help you, and you're trying to make it about everyone else when it's really just about yourself. I don't help people like that. Because, you know what, be selfish and say, you know what, I need help. I need to pay my bills. I'll say, oh, Bank of America's been doing this for years. You never gave a shit until it happened to you. So for Brian Moynihan to say this, it's refreshing. It's about time the head honcho says, "Yeah, you know, crypto. We're not we're not a big fan of it, but we're we're, we're a fan of the sides. You know what I mean? It's like Thanksgiving. You know, the turkey's good. Turkey's awesome. I love turkey, but you know, red chili when you live in New Mexico, stuffing, mashed potatoes, corn. I make this corn casserole, rolls." Pumpkin pie, all the other stuff that goes along with it. Thanksgiving is associated with turkey, but there's like 20 other things that are in the universe of the turkey that are just as good, if not better. And those are the parts that actually make a Thanksgiving, in my opinion. The blockchain technology, the leather, ledger technology, I said leather, the ledger technology is what makes crypto crypto. Bank of America says we can take the best part of that, you know, implement it with what we're doing. Or maybe doing something else in the future and we can be a better company for it. That's what true CEOs do. And again, I'm not the biggest fan of Moynihan, but why would he want to leave Bank of America if he can exert so much influence on his company by changing the way they do business and being ahead of things the next 10 years? I'll never work for those fuckers again. I never want to work for a bank again. But I'll tell you this. Someone who says straight up that this isn't for us, but there's parts of it that we can use. That tells me that he's got his shit together at least somewhat. That's it for the episode of Notorious Banker, my friends. Um, I also want to acknowledge that this is the fourth anniversary of this podcast, and I'm so excited to say that. We've done so many of these episodes, and I'm really proud. Um, Of course, we've had a few sponsors over the time. I thank all of them. I thank all the listeners for listening to this podcast in the four years I've been doing it. We're going to continue to trudge on. We should have another one at the end of the week. No promises, though. We're headed on Christmas. Uh, But what I'm going to try to do is read Emily Flitter's book, Front and Back, try to do some mini podcasts about chapters and just give my two cents on it. Hopefully they're no more than 15 or 20 minutes long, but we'll see how that goes. You can find me on Twitter at BankBetterGuy, at NotoriousBanker on TikTok and on Instagram. The NotoriousBanker at gmail.com is my email address. Um, NotoriousBanker.com for all of my links. I am the author of High Risk Transaction, the Ryan Coogler Bank of America incident, now available on Amazon and Kindle in paperback format. The soon-to-be-released Zell book and this new book about uh, New Mexico, New Mexico State rivalry that I want to talk about because uh, we have to talk about it. If you're local and there's something local that happens in your area and you have pretty deep knowledge about it share it with the world don't put it on a facebook post man do a blog figure something out be creative be yourself and there's a lot of people who don't like to write there's not a lot of people who like to talk on a podcast like i do but you know what you have a gift and if you have this gift of knowledge you have this gift of trying to comprehend something crazy by all means share it with the world and that's what i'm going to try to do with this book so we'll see how that goes but in the meantime until next time this is james baca 
known professionally as a notorious banker, signing off saying thank you so very much for listening to this podcast, and you have yourself a great day.